0: The sermon title is titled The Christian Mindset. The Mindset. There's been a war raging since the beginning of time. This war, world war has been raging and has had many casualties. It's had eternal implications. Lives have been lost. This battle's been going on And it will continue to rage on. We all feel it. We've all been part of this battle. There's been many spiritual casualties due to this battle. What is this battle? It's a battle over the mind. Over the mind. The battle over the mind. What we understand and what we believe shapes our mindset. I mean, we understand this. For example, what a perfect illustration. Your understanding of COVID-19 totally shaped your mindset towards how you would approach life, did it not? It's a perfect example. And some people had different views, and even in the church, it potentially could have been such a polarizing topic. Had a spectrum of understandings of COVID-19. And the mind is central to Christianity. You know, and let me read you some verses here. The mind is absolutely central. I mean, Matthew twenty-two thirty-seven. 37, we know this verse, this is the greatest commandment. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. The mind. Luke 24, 45, Jesus opened their minds to understand, minds to understand the scriptures. Romans 12, 2 says this, be transformed by the renewing of your minds. It's all over the scriptures. First Peter 1, 13, Peter writes, Gird the loins of your mind or prepare your mind for action. Right. So as you go out into uh, hopefully pre-COVID conditions, as you go out to university, go out to your new job, prepare your mind, gird up your mind for action so you know how to live your mindset. God has given us minds. This is one of the great gifts that he's given us. This is what makes us distinct from animals. We could reason. We could think logically. This is critical that we understand this. We could think critically over issues. So as a Christian, it all begins what will we understand and what will we believe. And he has chosen to communicate with us with ideas and concepts we could actually grasp. Meaning, if you believe that you are a Christian, you, you could articulate to some levels why you believe this. Right? This is critically important. Christianity is, is a set of rational arguments. The gospel is an argument. It's a set of rational arguments that said, do I believe this or not? Christianity is completely logical. Complete, uh, Christianity is coherent, meaning you can understand it. Christianity is a lucid approach to life, how a Christian is to live. The Bible is given to be understood. That's why we could read the Bible, but unless we understand the Bible, we actually haven't heard from God. But once we interpret the Bible correctly, we understand the Bible, then we heard from God. And it's understandable to the human mind, even non-believers can understand christian concepts and tr- christian ideas now whether they believe it or not that's a whole different story but they could say you know what i know what i'm saying no to if we explain it to them right this is critical so paul compares two spiritual gifts two spoken gifts prophecy and tongues to make a point point. and prophecy and tongues is really not the main idea of this section but he uses two relevant issues in corinth to make a point today and uh because the Corinthians had the wrong mindset. They're completely individualistic. For the most part, they're self-promoting. That was their approach to life. They're self-centered, had a self-centered mindset. So today, Paul is trying to develop a new Christian mindset for the Corinthians and perhaps for us today too. So listen carefully here. This is going to speak to your minds, which will also inform and fuel your heart for Christ. Um, so the three points i like to kind of give you ahead of time so you can follow along. The Christian mindset is communal, meaning it's a group. You're part of a group. You're part of something bigger than yourself. The Christian mindset aims to communicate. Communicate, that's right. <laughs> communicate. The Christian mindset is comprehensible, meaning you could actually understand it. It's not so mysterious where we can't understand the main tenets of our faith. So let's turn to the scriptures here. Let's look at verse 1 here. Paul starts off here. He combines chapter 12 and chapter 13 here. He sums it up and just groups them together, like merges chapter 12 and chapter 13 together to develop a Christian mindset for the Corinthians here. He gives two imperative commands right here. He says, pursue love. That's a command from God. Pursue love. This is not a suggestion. Pursue love. Yet... That was chapter 13. Pursue love, yet desire earnestly. Spiritual gifts, chapter 12. Yet, spiritual gifts are important. So pursue them. These are two imperative commands. Pursue. Dioko means to be like a hunter. Relentlessly pursue after love. And in both pursue and desire, they're in the present tense, in the original language. What does that mean? That means it's an ongoing thing. It's never like, okay, I I got it now. I captured love. I got it forever. No, it's constantly pursuing after love, constantly desiring earnestly after spiritual gifts. This is a constant thing that the Lord is calling us to be part of. That is shaping our mindset of how we're to approach life. And this is really the formula of the Christian mindset. Love and gifts so I could bless other people. It's others-oriented, you know. And, and the Bible in verse 1 says, Pursue is, pursue love, yet earnestly desire spiritual gifts, but especially that you may prophesy. Why is that? Why does Paul highlight prophecy? I, I, I thought all the gifts were valid, which they are. But he, he pits prophecy and tongues against one another. So for the first point, The first step is to realize that the Christian mindset is communal, communal. That means that we're a part of something greater than ourselves. That means that we joined a group. We're part of a family. We're part of a kingdom. We're part of the body of Christ. And he basically, Paul goes on to compare tongues versus prophecy. And these are two relevant issues in the day in Corinth. And I want to make sure that we speak clearly about this so that we have a working knowledge of what is prophecy and what is tongues, what are tongues, right? We want to make sure we have a working knowledge so that the sermon's going to make sense so verse chapter 14 makes sense to us. Although like I said before, although prophecy and tongues were not the main issue. This wasn't. Let's not get trapped in this, but we have to have a working knowledge so that we can understand this. So I want to take a little bit of time to understand prophecy and some of it might be a review So let's go back in time. We're going to go back in time to the time ship. We're going to go back 2,000 years to Corinth. What did Paul mean when he said to prophesy? What what does prophecy mean 2,000 years ago? And I'm going to apply it to what does it mean today for us. This is pre-New Testament era, meaning the, the New Testament hasn't been completed yet. They didn't have the Genesis to Revelation to look to as the authoritative word of God. And so there were the office of apostles walking around. There were apostles who built upon the apostolic teaching, meaning things that Paul taught, Peter taught, that, uh, that were taught to the church. The prophets would apply and expand these teachings for the local context of the church. So they would expand more to how to minister these truths in Corinth. And these, these people, would provide new revelation to help the church grow in this formative stage. Today, we have the New Testament. We have the scriptures. The office of prophet is closed. However, we're still able to speak forth God's word. But it's all Bible. When I teach and preach, it's from the scriptures. When we apply the truth That's a form of prophecy. This is what we learn from the scriptures. This is how it applies to Evergreen SUV. This is how it applies to me personally, what I'm going through right now. But there's no new revelation. No one's going to come up with new truth about God. This is the gift of prophecy today. And the Holy Spirit also guides us in how we edify one another. Have you been there before? Probably in the morning you wake up, and all of a sudden someone comes to mind. And so, you know what? Let me pray for this person. And however you're led, you pray for this person. You may shoot them a text or email. Or come, hey, I just, you came to mind, I wanted to pray for you. And they're like, whoa, how'd you know? Know what? I don't know. You just came to mind, I wanted to pray for you. Perhaps that's the Lord bringing somebody to mind so for we could edify one somebody else, right? That's how this works. How we're one body, the Spirit of God, has united us so that we could edify one another. So perhaps, perhaps you have a thought to offer up somebody a word of encouragement, maybe a word of caution, whatever it may be, and perhaps that's the Lord and you sh- from the Lord and you share it to them, all right? Next week we'll talk a little bit more about prophecy. And then about tongues, what are, what are tongues? Glossa is the, the word in the original language it's used 49 times in the New Testament. 49 times! 22 out of the 49, it's basically talks about the anatomy of the tongue or just the ability to speak or speak a, a, just a, the, a language. But 27 times out of the 49, is used to refer to spiritual gifts. 27 out of the 29, 49 times. Now, what's interesting about this, guys, is this. Only in Acts and 1 Corinthians... Glossa is used to reference a spiritual gift. Interesting. Isn't that interesting? And as Sister Christie read it at Acts chapter 2, that is the most descriptive area of where tongues is described. And in essence, if you follow along with what she read, it was basically a supernatural ability when at Pentecost when the Spirit of God fell upon the people to speak in various known human dialects and languages so that they could. Be unified so that it could spread the gospel, so that it could edify one another. So that's one form of tongue. So what is Paul talking about when he talks about tongues? That's certainly one. That's as clear as can be. It's a supernatural ability to speak a foreign dialect or language. 1 Corinthians 14 perhaps offers up another form. Perhaps it's a private prayer language. 1 Corinthians 14 14, verse 2 says this, For one who speaks in the tongue does not speak to men, but to God. This is perhaps a language to speak to God. 1 Corinthians 14, 14 says this. If I pray in a tongue, right? If I pray in a tongue. 1 Corinthians 14, 27 says that it would require an interpreter to use if you're going to use this in public. So perhaps it's a private prayer language. The Corinthians, I'll add a third category. As I studied Corinthians deeper and deeper, got to know the people more as I became uh, friends with the Corinthians, so to speak. I also believe it was just a, a, a counterfeit version of tongues going on. And Paul needed to address this. This is why, this is a, he didn't address this in Ephesus. He didn't address this in Thessalonica. He didn't address this in Colossae. He didn't address this in Galatia. He addressed this in Corinth specifically. There was an issue going on. Paul needed to address this is the next issue he needs to get settled so that they could Paul could help the Corinthians be unified. Okay? So that those are those are some working understanding of prophecy and tongues. And this is important that we understand this. So because as we read through here, we're gonna be able to apply these things and understand the scriptures even more. So verse 2 for one who speaks in the tongue does not speak to men but to God. For no one understands, but in his spirit he speaks mysteries. No one understands without an interpreter what the tongue speaker is speaking. Verse 3, but one who prophesies speaks to men for edification and exhortation and consolation. So the mindset needs to be that Christians, we're part of something bigger than ourselves. And we need to realize, how, does my, how does, do my actions affect other people? I mean, this is what Corinthians has been about this whole time. about How do you exercise your Christian liberties? Do I eat these meat sacrificed to idols or not? How does this offend somebody? How does this affect somebody in a positive way? Paul was trying to get the Corinthians to start thinking about other people. Know that you're part of a big group. Because the Corinthians were, perhaps just like our contemporary culture, focused on the self. Be true to yourself. Do you. Perhaps you've heard those things said to you before as people try to encourage you or to motivate you from a secular mindset, you know, what's best for you? How's it going to work out for you? That's very Corinthian. That's very Corinthian. That's very worldly today. But the Christian mindset is, how do I apply my spiritual gifts to bless other people? This is the Christian mindset. I'm a part of a family and I want to be a blessing. I want to help unify the family. 1 Corinthians 2, 7 says that spiritual gifts are given for the common good. What's well, good for everybody? That's important for us to understand. 1 Corinthians 12, 31 says, desire the greater gifts. What are the greater gifts? Well, right here, if we look at verse 5, now I wish that you all spoke in tongues. Paul even says, hey, you know what? I wish that you all spoke in tongues. Perhaps you could speak the foreign languages or even have a prayer language. But even more that you would prophesy. And greater is one who prophesies than the one who speaks in tongues unless he interprets. Why, Paul? There it is. So that the church may receive edifying. It's all about the church. It's all about how can I bless the church. So your gifts, our gifts, whether it's prophecy or whether it's service, whether it's being hospitable, know that the fact that you edify and build a church, it's a great gift. Whatever gift that we've been given, this is important. So the Christian mindset starts with, I'm a part of something bigger than myself. I'm a part of a community. It's communal. Now, going on to the next point, since we are communal, how do we edify the church? Since we are part of a big community, all right, bigger than ourselves, how do we actually go about edifying the church? This is important. The next point says the Christian mindset aims to communicate. Since I'm part of a community, is bigger than me, myself, and I, I need to communicate to other people to edify them. And since the mind, since we started talking about the mind, since the mind needs to be fed or to be edified, we need to communicate truth here. Verse 6 here. But now, brethren, if I come to you speaking in tongues... What will I profit you unless I speak to you either by the way of revelation or of knowledge or of prophecy or of teaching? Revelation and prophecy are tied together. Revelation is divine knowledge of God. And when you prophesy, you speak for God. You speak forth God's truth. Knowledge is divine knowledge. That's tied into teaching. This is what our teachers do. This we have faithful Bible teachers at, with ACE and other places, your pastors and other lay people who who faithfully preach and teach the Bible. This is what you want—divine knowledge. And in effect, Paul saying, "What does it profit anyone unless I impart something to you? If you, if you, I need to understand, be understood for me to be a blessing." And he gives two illustrations. One is a musical instrument. Out of verse 7 and 8, basically, if these musical instruments do not produce distinct sounds, it means nothing, right? Or even he goes on to use another illustration of human languages. Let me read verse 10. There are perhaps a great many kinds of languages in the world, and no kind is without meaning, meaning every single language in the world has a meaning. Question for you guys, perhaps a trivia question here. How many languages are spoken in this world today? How many would you guess? I mean, somebody may know this here, but I, had to, I did a little research. How many languages are, are identified? You know, so we, we have some people who are into languages here, but uh, there are 196 nations, 196 nations. Would you say, I don't know, double that, 400 languages, 1,000 languages? 2,000 languages. I'm looking at Paul and Prudence. 4,000 languages. According to my studies, correct me later if I'm wrong. According to ethnologue, ethnologue. There are 7,116 languages. 7,116 languages. And Paul says every single one of them is designed to communicate something. Right? And verse 11 is critical for us to understand the power in languages. Languages are so important. What a tool that God has uh, designed for mankind to understand. At one point, languages separated. Remember at the Tower of Babel, God gave all kinds of different languages and boom, it, it separated people. But here, verse 11 here. This is kinda, this is critical that we understand verse 11. If then I do not know the meaning of the language, I will be to the one who speaks a barbarian or a foreigner. And the one who speaks will be a barbarian or a foreigner to me. And it's interesting, as I started this this verse, if then I do not know the meaning of the language, meaning. Dynamis is meaning. Dynamis, the word that's used to translate... Power for the word of the cross, right, is the power of God. For I'm not ashamed of the gospel is the power of God, right? So the power of the language is tied into the meaning. Meaning the language could be very beautiful and eloquent sounding, but if you don't understand the person, there's no power in that language. You hear what I'm saying? The language is tied into the meaning Therefore, if you're speaking something that has no meaning, it's powerless. You're just speaking to the air, the Bible says in 1 Corinthians 14. So just like the Bible, the Bible is a set of words that God has used to communicate revelation to us. If we don't properly understand the word, the Bible, we actually haven't heard from the Lord. We may even memorize Bible verses, but unless we understand what the Bible is saying, what did the author mean to convey when he wrote it? We, don't, we haven't actually comprehended what God is trying to communicate to us, right? It's interesting. Tower of Babel, people were separated, right? At one time, human uh, uh, race had one language. People were unified, and God had to use uh, different language to separate them because they're following a destructive path. And this is, this is what it says, though. If I do not understand the meaning of language, I will be to the one speaking a foreigner. The one who speaks will be a foreigner to me. It's interesting. Knowing that we're part of a community, knowing that we're part of a family, knowing that we're part of a team, knowing that we're part of the body of Christ, if we don't understand each other, you know, you know what does? It does not bring us together. It actually divides us and fragments us. And this is what was happening in Corinth. They are fragmented. Let's compare it to what happened in Acts 2. It's interesting how God uses languages in the history of the Bible. He uses languages to separate, but in Acts 2, supernaturally, what did he do? He used the languages to unite. The gift of tongues were being used to communicate the gospel communicate who Christ was. At Pentecost, where Christy read in Acts chapter 2, there are all kinds of foreigners visiting Jerusalem. And other dialects, it says, look at all those hard names that she had to read. They're from different parts of the world. And God used supernaturally different languages. People were given the ability to speak these languages. People heard the gospel and, and, and the message of Christ, the word of Christ in their own dialect, and it drew them closer together. That's what spiritual gifts are meant to do, to unify us, not separate us. So obviously in Corinth, what was happening was this. This wasn't the Holy Spirit, it was a different type of spirit. Because the Holy Spirit would have unified them. Instead, they're being fragmented. So that I'm more and more convinced that the large issue that Paul uh, is addressing is counterfeit tongues. People are trying to separate themselves. People are trying to elevate themselves in front of one another. And in verse twelve, here it says, this, "So also, since you are zealous, he's, taught, he's acknowledging since you are zealous of spiritual gifts. That's good. That's good that you are zealous for spiritual gifts. Comma, seek to abound for the edification of the church. Let's harness that zealousness, that ambition, that excitement for spiritual gifts. How can I edify other people? This is where our passion should be. How can I help build up other people? And use whatever God's given you. Use whatever God's given you. So that, the point is that the Christian mindset, is we need to be able to communicate with one another clearly. That's where, from the pulpit, it needs to be crystal clear. Uh, my goal is that at the end of every sermon, as best I can, that it's clear. This is what, this is what the Bible is saying. And this is my role let 's go to the third point here. What do we communicate then? Third, a Christian mindset is comprehendable comprehendable means I can understand what is being said' it's not it 's not just some abstract ideas this is not some uh, uh, i 'm not speaking in a way that 's confusing. I might be because in my flesh and my fault in my weakness it might be confusing but The idea is a concept should be lucid. It should be uh, understandable. Verse 13 says, therefore, let one who speaks in a tongue pray that he may interpret. Interpret means to be understandable, to be able to translate, to be able to explain clearly. Verse 14 says this, for if I pray in a tongue, my spirit prays. But look what happens to that person's body. But my mind is unfruitful. I don't even know what I'm praying for. How helpful is that? If you're part of a prayer group and you don't quite understand what the other person's praying, Paul's going to make a huge point here coming up here. Let's let's track down verse 15. What is the outcome then? What should I do then? I will pray with the spirit and I will pray with the mind. I'm going to do both. I will sing with the spirit, and I will sing with the mind. Hopefully we understand the lyrics that we're we're singing today. Verse 16. Otherwise, if you bless in the spirit only, how will the one who fills the place of the ungifted, meaning those who are untrained, who do not understand, say the amen at the giving of thanks? Amen means this. Let it be so. I agree. Let it happen. How can you, with full conviction, say amen to that prayer? If Pastor Kenny, as he's calling us to worship, he says, Amen. We understood what he said. Amen. I agree. Praise God. If you couldn't understand him, how could you, in full conviction, say amen? This is what Paul's saying. Because when we hear the word of God together in an assembled gathering like this or a Bible study and we understand it, it actually unifies us. Amen. We believe this. Yes, let it be so. This is why we're Christians. Yes, this is why we gather on the Lord's day. Yes, this is why we have hope no matter what's going on. Amen. Right? So we need to be able to understand one another. And the Christian... Uh, uh, religion is understandable. It's amazing. I talked to my dad, who I believe is a baby Christian. He, I talked to him and said, do you understand what the Christianity is about, the essence? You know, he obviously he doesn't know every mystery like as none of us do, but he goes, yeah, it's so simple. Is that all that there is?" I said, why do you say that? Well, you know, I've shared this before in the past in his home village There's a big Buddhist and Shinto presence. I said, oh, you grew up with that all your life? Yeah. What did they teach? I'm not quite sure. Well, we used to do festivals and eat stuff. And he couldn't tell me. He goes, it's so complicated. Exactly. Christianity is very understandable. Praise God. God meets us where we're at, right? He gives us what we can handle. That's important for for us to understand. Jesus opened their minds to understand the scriptures, right? I mean, this is all part of it. We need to be able to understand the scriptures. And so, finishing up here, verse 18 and 19, Paul says this, I thank God I speak in tongues more than you all. Paul, perhaps he's speaking about that supernatural ability to speak languages, He was a renowned evangelist. That's helpful. I would imagine if you go to foreign places that you speak the language, right? Or perhaps you have this private prayer language, perhaps. Whatever he means by that, he qualifies as, However, in the church, I desire to speak five words with my mind, with his mind, his cognitive mind, so that I may instruct others also, rather than 10,000, that the word is myriads, means countless numbers of words in a tongue. Makes sense, doesn't it? If you think about it. And my mind was drawn to this, as we finish up here, is in the book of Acts, as we started this with Sister Christie reading Acts chapter 2, but in the book of Acts... Tongues were being ministered, and what happens after that? I kind of want to just briefly go over that. I'm just going to do a quick flyover. And tell me if this is lucid or not. Tell me what happens if this is clear or not, if this is cognitive enough for people to understand. Even 2,000 years later, we could understand. Acts chapter 2, verse 13, he says, But others were mocking, saying, They are full of sweet wine. Man, this sounds crazy. What's going on, right? But verse 14, chapter Acts 2.14, But Peter, taking a stand with the eleven, he stands up by the power of the Holy Spirit, raised his voice and declared to them, Men of Judea and all you who live in Jerusalem, let this be known to you, and give heed to my words. Listen up to what I'm about to say, he says. Words that people could understand. Let's jump down to verse 22. Men of Israel, Listen to these words, words again. Jesus, the Nazarene. Let's start off with Jesus Christ, the historical carpenter's son, Jesus Christ, who grew up in Nazareth. Let's start off with this. Are the people following? You bet they are. A man attested to you by God with miracles and wonders and signs, which God performed through him in your midst, just as you yourself know. You've seen him do miracles. You've seen him do amazing things. This is the Jesus who we're talking about. He's very Paul's very precise, very clear on who he's talking about. Verse twenty-three: This man delivered over by the predetermined plan and foreknowledge of God, you nailed to a cross by the hands of godless men and put him to death. Meaning you murdered him they understand what he's saying but god raised him up again putting an end to the agony of death since it was impossible for him to be held in its power clear lucid peter is very clear let's jump down to verse 33 here therefore having been exalted to the right hand of god Jesus Christ is at the right hand of God, the Father, and having received from the Father the promise of the Holy Spirit, he sent the Holy Spirit to us, he has poured forth this which you both seen here. This is why we're able to speak this way. Because the power of God is upon us. Clear. Whether they believe it or not, that's a different story, but clear, you understand what Peter is saying. Verse 36, Therefore let all the house of Israel know... For certain that God has made him both Lord and Christ. He is Lord and the Savior, Messiah Christ. This Jesus whom you crucified. Peter is very clear. Jesus Christ is Lord and he is the Savior. Look what happens next. Did they understand? Let's read verse 37. Now, that's the response. When they heard this, when they heard this, they heard this. They were pierced to the heart, pricked to the heart, and said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, Brethren, brothers, what shall we do? They understood. Peter said to them in a very clear way Repent, turn away from following after your sins, and turn to Christ, and each one of you be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. Turn to Christ so you will be forgiven. Bad news, you murdered Jesus. Good news, you could be forgiven if you believe in him. And you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. Look what it goes on to say, finishing up here. For the promise is for you and your children and for all who are far off. It's for everybody. That's very clear. As many as the Lord our God will call to himself. God will choose his people. Verse 40, and with many other words, there it is again, words. He solemnly testified and kept on exhorting them, saying, be saved from this perverse generation. And look at the fruit of it, verse 41. So then those who had received his word, word, were baptized. And that day there were added about 3,000 souls. So 3,000 people understood and believed. However, there are thousands more who understood but didn't believe. They rejected. They knew exactly what they are rejecting. Clarity. We need to be clear. One, for our own salvation, our sanctification. Are we clear what the gospel message is? Are we clear about who Jesus Christ is? Are we clear about these... Core doctrinal issues that sets us apart as Christians, that catapults us from from dead lives to spiritually alive in Christ. Do we understand this so that we can walk in the face of eternity with boldness and confidence? That's one. But also, we need to be clear so that we can edify one another, edify other Christians, edify, even help hopefully usher other people into the kingdom. We need to be clear And this is the role of the church. We could help each other become clear so that we know what we believe and so that we could have a strong Christian mindset. We want to be very clear. Clarity. The power is in the clarity. The power is to be able to understand. And that shapes our mindset. That shapes how we live. That shapes how we treat one another. Amen? Let's pray. Father, I thank you for this word, how clear it is. Lord, you are so clear, and, and Lord, you are the God of order, as you will say later on in, uh, in 1 Corinthians 14. You're understandable. We thank you that you use the Bible and words to communicate to us. You come down to our level so that we can understand. So thank you that you have done this. Lord, I, I, I pray that we will respond in a way that we would desire to have more clarity on what we believe. Help us to hunger for your word more. I pray there will be a massive movement towards attendance in our adult education. So we want to go deeper into the word. We want to learn more about what you have to say to us through your scriptures. Father God, I pray, Lord, that we have gained a greater conviction of who you are and what we believe. And so, Father God, I pray this conviction will give us more confidence as we approach our lives, as we approach covid season as we even approach eternity itself and so father i pray this conviction this clarity would allow us to speak to people with confidence with great love and affection lord we don't want a dead orthodoxy we don't want to just have head knowledge we don't want to just be a data dump on people lord help us to love people well i pray lord that your spirit Jesus, you say we need to worship you in spirit and truth. I pray that your spirit will illuminate truth and change us. Help us to become more like you, your son, as we have the mind of Christ. Thank you, Father. In Jesus' name, amen.